Thanks for joining our Wout Work podcast, where we focus on the challenges, but also the successes of starting a new business or making a career transition. Today, we're talking to Malcolm Ryan, who had the rather zany idea that he wanted to make rhubarb new again when he started his business, Ruby Delights. Welcome, Malcolm. Um, Thank you, Barbara. Yes, thank you for joining us. So, Can I ask you just to briefly explain to us where you got your idea from and why you thought it would be a good business proposition? Um, Barbara, I grew up on a 450-acre dairy farm on the northwest coast of Tasmania back in the 60s and 70s. And um, if us six children wanted a sweet treat, we had to eat what mum could grow and cook. So there was a row of rhubarb in the veggie garden and there was an apple orchard. So we got rhubarb or apple or a combination of both. And mum was a good cook. So, you know, I always loved my rhubarb tarts or stewed rhubarb with custard or those sort of things. And um, over the decades, I seen rhubarb fall out of favour and become old fashioned. In 2010, my father passed away. A year later, I went back onto the farm to rescue mum and the farm and was leaning up against the shed one day, daydreaming like I do, and I was looking across the paddock at the patch where mum used to grow the six families, basically, and I had a light bulb moment where I said I was going to make rhubarb new again. What I knew, Barbara, was um, in 2011 was there was more and more shelf space in supermarkets uh, being converted to ready-to-go products um, for what I call the time poor or lazy or both people. (laughs) (laughs) So I was heading down that sort of line and then I got introduced at a business meeting by the vegetable marketing manager in Burnie uh, to John Ranica and he owns Forager Foods and um, back in 2011, freeze-drying was almost mm, getting a rock from Mars sort of thing. And so I thought, mm, that sounded interesting. And a month or two later, I was going past Deloraine and I thought, where's this Ranikar fella, I wonder? And so I tracked him down, knocked on the door. He showed me through his factory and I thought, wow, I wonder how many rhubarb would go freeze-dried. John... Absolutely needs a gold medal for for incubating me. And he allowed me to come into his factory and do all my research and development. I come up with freeze-dried powder and I took it to a chef in Hobart by the name of Alastair Wise, who's a real foodie. He's won awards in London, New York, worked with Ramsey, all that sort of thing. He dipped his finger in this powder, put it on his tongue, and he said, wow, the chocolatiers are going to love you. <laughs> So that was another significant cog-turning moment. And so then I sort of sort of started thinking, gee, how do you get rhubarb and chocolate together? So I come up with a process of um, pureeing the rhubarb, cooking it, pureeing it, and then tipping it into a chocolate mould. Right. And then I froze it, took it up to the freeze-drying facility, got it freeze-dried, so then I had these big lumps of freeze-dried rhubarb, which was quite unique because um, when you put 
a kilo of, freeze, of uh, rhubarb in the freeze dryer, it comes out at about 140 grams. It just takes all the water away. Right, at least right. all the nutrient, vitamins, mineral shape, colour there. So um, then I played around and I got some chocolate and finger coated it, you know, and then tried it. And I thought, oh, wow, this is good. So then I went to a, a chocolatier in Launceston and thought, um, can you do a trial for me? So they done a trial. I then went out to probably 50 or 100 people and said, try this, see what you think. I was getting rave reviews. And then, you know, I knew then that um, chocolate work was an art form. And so I was going to outsource all that. Right. And because we've got some amazing chocolatiers in Tasmania. But with all due respect to those chocolatiers, when I was giving them, you know, a, a 22 millimeter diameter um, domed piece of rhubarb with a flat bottom and asked them to chocolate coat it. It was, as I said, Barbara, back in 2011, giving them something like that was like, I might as well went to Mars and got a rock and give it to them because they just had no idea what it was right. or, or how to treat it. So it sounds to me like you actually, there's a lot of trial and error going up on here and, exactly. and can I ask what sort of time period we're talking so you started in 2011 if I have that yep. right and so at the point where you're with the chocolatiers how far down the track are we yeah so about 2013 right I knew I could get this chocolate around the rhubarb but and I'd been in a number of chocolate places where I've seen sell me chocolate machines so I googled sell me in Italy and sent them an email and said, oh, I've got something I want you to trial for me. So I packaged up a big box of my freeze-dried rhubarb and sent it off to Italy, and I got them to do a trial. They wanted to enrobe it, which is basically putting it on a conveyor under a waterfall of chocolate, but that doesn't seal the bottom up properly because if you allow a little bit of moisture to get in anywhere, it'll send the rhubarb freeze-dried soggy and chewy and rubbery because it's trying to suck the moisture back up, reconstitutes. Right. They come back to me and said they'd enrobed it. And I said, no, I want it enrobed. I want it panned. And they said, you can't pan it. It's because of the shape and the flat side. I said, I want you to pan it, which is like in a cement mixer. Yeah, that's panning. Right. Yeah. Think of a cement mixer, but an expensive one. <laughs> and said, I want you to video it for me. So they videoed panning these big hunks of rhubarb. I seen it work. So I then um, ordered and imported a panning machine from Italy. So I didn't have any buildings. I didn't have any capital to buy a building or rent one. But good old John Rennicar from Forager Foods said, I should write, stick it out the back here. We've got plenty of room. So... I stuck this $20,000 panning machine out the back of John Rannicar's factory. And I think now, Barbara, I was brave doing that. You were. <laughs> I think given, given your circumstances, um, Malcolm, uh, at the time, what, what kind of made you make take that plunge? I mean, it, was a, it, it sounded like um, 
a pretty risky venture in a way. There was so much involved in in kind of the developing it in the way that you did. So yeah, and I'll come to that, Barbara. Like, so I had been a Bernie Council alderman for eight years, mm-hmm. and I sort of just resigned in two thousand and eleven. I think it was when I resigned, and um, I was I didn't have a job because I for the last three years or so I'd been managing the family farm and transitioning mum from the farm into an aged care facility Mm -hmm. and so I had to think about creating a job for myself and so uh, I appreciate that when someone's in their 50s male or female it can be quite daunting if you haven't got a job and want a job so I knew the sort of animal I was um and I am quite quite a difficult animal to control, you know, because I am innovative, creative, all those sort of things. And I'm a big picture thinker. I only seen some videos the other night of me putting my first lot of freeze-dried product into that panning machine. And I think now I do giggle about it, you know. It was just I had started doing something I'd never done before in a very rudimentary environment with the most difficult product in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Two years after I started, I needed another panning machine. And because of the risk, if one, the one I had broke down, right. I just couldn't go down the road and hire another one. And that's the one thing I'll say to anyone starting, you've got to look at the pinch points. What's the pinch point? What's going to stop your business growing? And then you've got to fix that up and then look for the next one. I had a backpack with a heap of my products in it, pulled them all out and laid them on the table, these big strawberries and big rhubarb and all this stuff. Oh, so you've and, moved on to other uh, other fruits uh, by the sound yeah, of it as well. I, I just, I'd started by that stage only just doing whole blackberries and whole um, strawberries. And I thought there's got to be a better way of doing this. You know, I was running at a 15 or 20% loss because these big strawberries weren't coping properly. The blackberries were breaking and, you know, some of my rhubarb weren't coating properly because there's big flat bottom on them and all this sort of stuff. So, so can I ask why you decided that, um, to move on to to other fruits rather than just getting the rhubarb established and running with yeah. that. Um, so it's about having um, not everybody will like rhubarb. So you've okay. got to try and bring in more customers. Yes. And so, so, so while we're uh, sorry to interrupt again, but I'm just wondering, um, you know, when you how, how did you do, do that sort of customer research? Did you actually sit down and do customer research? How, how did you figure out um, that, that issue? Not, not so much, Barbara. Um, it was, I've now realised I've got a pretty good gut feeling and intuition for what will work and won't work. I'm not 28. I'm now I'm 58. You know what I mean? Yes, and absolutely. In your 50s, you mature, you get sense, you get wisdom, all these things. And that can sometimes, I'm not saying always, can sometimes override your market research. I, I, 
I can think now, like I go back to 1978, I was the first boy to enrol in cooking at Murrays Regional College. So I, and my mother was a gardener and a good cook. I've got mum's green thumb. I've always been interested in food. So when you've been interested in food for, you know, 30 or 40 years, and I've always looked, watched, listened, tasted, done all that sort of thing, yes. all of a sudden it's quite easy to determine whether people are going to like this or not. Yep. So you, you, you basically, um, you know, you've taken your, your life experience really yes. and delivered it into this, this new product and the development uh, of this new product. Yeah. So, so what I'll say, um, Barbara, is if Henry Ford had have done his market research, everyone would have said, we want to push bike or horse. <laughs> yeah? So you've got to take a risk sometimes. Yes. But it's got to be a bit calculated. And, you know, um, so that's what I'll say. People will say you've got to, you know, government and all they say, you've got to rely on science and, you know, research and what's being done, prove and all this stuff. Well, if we'd done that, nothing had happened. Yes, yes. Nothing new would come about. But you did have to figure out how to price it, that kind of thing. How did you how did yeah, you well, approach that issue? So, again, all I'd done there was said, well, my rhubarb growing costs this much, my freeze drying costs this much, my chocolate's going to cost this much, um, my box was a dollar, you know, all these yes. different things. I added all that up and said, well, I'll, it's going to cost me ten dollars to make this box of chocolates so therefore you know i don't want to double it but i've got to think of what if i'm going to wholesale this what's a wholesaler going to want and then what am i happy as a profit right and i come up with 15.95 right okay you know so it was just a matter of doing your sums really yes and then you i guess you have a look around and you say well comparable products in the market at this shop, you know, that box of chocolates, $18, that one's 16 that one's 20 Yeah, I'm in the market. And so on uh, May the 4th, 2015, at AgFest, Tasmania's premier rural field day, uh-huh. I launched freeze-dried rhubarb coated in chocolate. Three days, in three days, I sold $10,200 worth. Oh, that is fantastic. It just went nuts. (laughs) And I still think that first event, like I had people six deep. I created the frenzy. So So can can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So leading up to AgFest, I, over 30 years, I'd built up pretty good relationships with media and all those sort of people. And I'd campaigned against the plantation forest industry coming on our prime agricultural land here in Tasmania. I had a lot to do with the media. I knew what the media looked for. You know, what were the hooks media were looking for? Yes. They want colour, they want noise, they want story, that sort of thing. They want a grab that they can hook onto. So I'd known all this through my experiences. And because I'm a bit of a character, I guess some people will say, I'm a bit innovative, I'm a bit creative, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm, you know, 
Some will say crazy, but I will do crazy things to get noticed. So leading up to AgFest, I created this, we've got to go and have a look at this AgFest. Yeah, so I'd done media work, got media telling everybody how exciting this new product is going to be launched at AgFest was going to be. And I say to people... So, that, so, so can I just get a little bit more detail about that? So you said how exciting it's going to be, but what, what was the real hook? What, what, why was it exciting? How did no, you... Nobody else in the world had ever done freeze-dried rhubarb right. chocolate. Yep. You know, it was a world first. And it was happening right here in your patch, you know? Yes. So, um, you know, I created that frenzy leading up to it. It's a bit like pouring blood into the water with the sharks, you know? <laughs> and, and so off I went to Agfest. And, of course, I was on a buzz, you know? It was I had adrenaline pumping. And I know that in... History, we've got, we've wired, we wired, our DNA is wired to noise, water, and fire. You think of all those three things. If you can put any of those three or multiples of it into your product somehow, water, noise, or fire, you will get people coming to you. Right. So I'd created this frenzy, then went to AgFest, I can get very noisy, Barbara. <laughs> and so when you get noisy and you have some fun, people start laughing. Guess what? The bees come to the honeypot. Fantastic. How the hell did you come up with chocolate coating rhubarb? You'd never done any chocolate work or never done anything like that. And I said, no, but I grew up on a farm. We had a paddock of grass. And we had a baler in the shed and we turned the grass into a bale of hay. It's not much difference between freeze-dried rhubarb, chocolate and a panning machine. The principles are all the same. So with making a bale of hay, you've got to know what the temperature is. You've got to know what the humidity is. You've got to know your machine and know how to adjust it and twist it and, you know, if it's not doing something right. So I just apply those same principles. I had to know what, what the humidity was like because chocolate doesn't like moisture, you know. Yes. And, you know, I knew I had to know about the machine, so I turned buttons on and pressed buttons and all that and found out how it all worked and then just applied them principles, you know. You, uh, um, from what you said earlier, you had a lot of advice and so or you were sought out a lot of people to, 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 to help you develop the expertise you needed because you didn't have these skills to begin with, did you? And Well, you had, you had some skills, obviously, from your yes. farming experience, but in relation to, the, to figuring out the whole chocolate side of it, I mean, this was something oh, completely new, freeze-dried rhubarb. This yeah. is completely new. I'm a serial offender for networking. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, because you've got to, you know, like I went... I went and had lunch yesterday with a bloke that's got nothing to do with my business and he's a historian. He told me a few things yesterday that I, I'll apply into my business. 
Right. So you've got to look for every opportunity. Don't Absolutely. don't assume that just because yeah. you know someone's maybe not in your field or doesn't know what yeah. you're you're about that they haven't got something to offer. I'll give you a really good example of that. Um, when I first started, I went to a, a bank um, Christmas function, and my banker introduced me to this other bloke by the name of Aaron Brimfield. He's got Bridge Pro. Didn't know him or anything. He was a bridge maker. Anyway, he said to me, what do you do, Malcolm? And I said, oh, I'm just starting a chocolate business and uh, I've just got a panning machine on the high sea somewhere from coming here from Italy. And he said, I hope you didn't pay for it through here. In other words, do the bank transaction through the bank for it. And I said, yeah, I did. And he said, how much was it? And I said, oh, 20 grand. And he just rattled a few figures through. He said, they just ripped you off by about $1,200. You need to do your international bank transfers through Forex. And so my second panning machine, I paid for it through Forex, and I saved myself $1,200. So can you, um, I mean, I'm actually interested to know, given your circumstances, how you've funded all of this, because there's quite a lot of money involved in, in you know, your trips. To, 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 well, your machinery to begin with, but your trip to Italy, those sorts of things. I mean, um, did you were you working? Were you doing another job on the side? Like, the, was the farm bringing in an income? No, no, no. simple, simple. No. Um, so I'd been, as I said, I had a marriage bust up a few years earlier and put me back to eighteen financially. Mm-hmm. I, I was in a relationship with a lady uh, for three years by this stage before I started. I needed 50000 to start my business, so, you know, to buy a painting machine, to get yes. the marketing, get my uniform, get my design done, website, all those things. Yes. I needed fifty k to get going. I borrowed fifty grand against my partner at the time's bricks and mortar. I had um, developed a few other products. I got to 2017. Yes. And here I was trading dairy-free, gluten-free, nut-free on my products because right. I'd been to uh, to Food Pro 214 in Melbourne looking for chocolate, come upon a chocolate um, company there that was selling chocolate, loved the chocolate. They told me it was dairy-free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so off I come and put dairy free I'd seen a spec sheet that said no dairy ingredients in it Um, but what I didn't see until after I had a a bloke ring me up in 2017 and said I've had a dairy reaction to your products and I said that's a worry cut cut short of that I had a recall of all my products out of 72 stores wow it cost me over 20 grand as well as probably three years of my life in stress. And that is a very valuable lesson to somebody. I often I say to people, when I started my business and when I was at Food Pro 214 in Melbourne, I was in grade one. Right. In grade one, you, you believe everything everyone tells you. When you get to high school, you start to question, Yeah. Yes. By the time you come out of uni, which is where I'm at now, I'm out of uni, you understand a lot more things. And if you're going to say something, you've got to be able to prove it. You've got to back it up. 
I knew I had to get a million dollar business. So I've established my business structure, everything with a million dollar business in mind. Okay. So I've overcapitalized if, if like right at this point in time, now I've got say 200,000 turnover at the moment, mm-hmm. but I've got a factory now that can turn over a million without any more capital expenditure. Okay. So because I I know I've got to have a million dollar business, so I've overcapitalized over the last say four or five years, setting the business up, buying two panning machines, buying two blast roofs, buying two processors, you know, getting a factory that will be bigger than I need, but I know where I'm going. Right. You know, I've thoroughly enjoyed the last five or six years, and it's. It's rewarded me for it. It doesn't show that in my financials. If the bank comes and has a look at me and I want to borrow 300000 it's probably not a good look. But, my God, I've had a good time over the last five years. <laughs> so then I've gone out and I've spent 30000 on a marketing firm to come in, rebrand me, new logo, new marketing material, new website, new Facebook, Instagram, and some marketing in that to drive me now into Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth. Why, why did you think you need to do that, to do that Malcolm? Uh, because I, I had got to a point, um, it's like, I'll give you a, a real good example. Arian Titmus is a well-known Tasmanian swimmer. Mm-hmm. This is a bit of an analogy for you. Yes. Um, So she had a Tasmanian coach from Hobart that got her to win every state title there was. Yes. When she goes to go to the Olympics and stand on the podium, she has to drop that coach and get a coach that can finesse her up, take her to the Olympics and win a gold medal. Yep, I'm with you. That's what I've done. So um, my packaging was a bit, and it could have worked, it was a bit agricultural sort of thing, it was all over the place. Everything was just a little bit shaky. Mm-hmm. So I've cleaned it all up and now engaged this marketing firm to take me to the next level, to basically bring that other 700 into my factory. If I put that to a push bike and I'm going to go down that hill, yeah, I don't do it in thongs and shorts. I put good boots on, good clothing, a helmet, all these things and take the risk out of it. To right. some or as, to, to, as far as you can. Yes, you know. So that's what I mean about if you're going to be bullish and take some risks, you've got to make sure you're taking the risk out of it. Yeah. So have you had a lot of um, uh, any sort of mentoring or, or, or coaching yeah. in relation to risk or is this something that you feel it is a skill you already had? Um, remember I said I'm a serial offender for yes. network and events and things. Some people think I don't have any time to run my business because I'm always at events or talking to someone. It's how you learn. Yes. You know, and I often say, you know, you don't have to have any idea. You just pinch everybody else's. Yeah? Yeah. That's what it's about. If you think you can put your hands behind your back and hide in your little hole and do something, you'll fail. Yes. So what would be the main sort of advice you'd give to someone who is thinking about starting a new business? 
What, what, talk, someone talk. came to you and said, you know, I'm thinking about this. What do you reckon? What would you say? Um, there could be, I could say there's three, three things I'd say. Integrity, integrity, integrity. Well, yep. Why why that? uh, You've got to be, that comes, see, that encompasses a whole heap of things. It comes to me. It comes to my delivery. It comes to making my product. You know, everything about my business, if you make everything, you've got integrity, so you don't use cheap stuff. Or you say you're going to deliver it tomorrow, it'll be there tomorrow. Yes. And if you say... I'm going to send it to your postage free and then you do your sums a bit and you think, I can't afford to do that. I've got to charge you $10 postage. Uh Uh-uh, that's not integrity. Yes, yeah. You made that call that you was going to send it post free. You've got to do that. You know, what are the key lessons you think you've learned and and, and would you have done anything differently? In hindsight, you always do things differently, yeah. but but um, I think the things that have happened to me have happened for a good reason. They didn't break me, but they'll make me very sustainable moving forward. Right. You you. I can take a footballer into a room and tell them all about the game. Doesn't matter what until they run on that ground and the bell rings. That's where you find out. You find out in game time. Mm-hmm. So and you've just got to do it. Is that what you're saying? And then and figure it out as you go. Yes, but again, it is, well, if you're not real sure, don't just stumble ahead. Ask somebody. Go and ask somebody. Mm. Most people, if you, if you ask them to tell you something that's beating their chest for them, most people will want to poke their chest out and say, oh, this is how you do it. You know what I mean? Yes. You'll, get some, you'll get the odd one that, oh, they only want pinch my ideas, but they're only one in ten. The other nine will all help you. Yes. Don't be yes. frightened to ask because of that one. Yes. Be, be brave to ask because of the nine that are going to help you. Um, here in Tasmania, we've got... Department of State Growth, um, part of government run what they call um, enterprise centres. Yes. So yep. they're someone sitting there and switch in Alveston, switch Tasmania. Um, you can get free business mentoring. There's lots of things around if you search for it to help you. Yes. And lots of classes, you know, forums, events put on by business and industry and governments and that sort of thing that you can get a seat at. And did you, know? you make use of those things? Oh, absolutely. You know, that's what I said, I'm a serial offender. Um, but if you do, like now, I've got real good relationships with Department of State growth people because I've supported their events over the years. Mm, yes. You know, now I'm growing up into a, a big boy Um you know what I mean? Yes. Um, from, you know, from a business perspective. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, last week I had one one lady from Department of State Growth asked me if I'd come in and talk with her and perhaps another one or two about ideas around, you know, maybe exporting or collaboration 
that sort of thing, they're asking me to come to them now. So yes. next next week when I put a grant application in or something for funding, guess what? I'll, I'm pretty confident I'll get some positive, you know, ticks on it. But were there any difficulties in being a mature age entrepreneur that you encountered? Um, no, I I think it's an advantage being mature age. You know, like um, when I go to places and all that, you're not a, a wild sort of 28-year-old that's got all these ideas and got energy but haven't got any wisdom, let's say, yet. When you're 50, let's say, um, people recognise that you've got some life skills, you've got wisdom, you, you've survived through the 50, mm. you know. And so I think it's an advantage and, and the people like myself and like your networks and um, I can only say it's exciting if you manage it, you know. Yes. It's, it's a great time to do things. You've got all that wisdom of the last 30 years or 40 years, you know what I mean? Yes, definitely. And yeah, I am, I am probably advantaged in some way. Like I grew up on a farm. I worked underground as a miner. I travelled the mainland and worked on cotton and oil and um, mixed with Indigenous people. I um, was president of the Burning Tourism Association. I was I ran the first um, public event to get Tasmania GE free. I uh, was on the first group to start the Burning Farmers Market, first farmers market in Tasmania. Um, so you're you know, saying I, that all this experience has, it, you know, it, you deliver all this experience into your new business, and it and it's you can't. Yeah. You can't pay for that in a way, or there's no money no. that can that. Can, it, yes, and that's that's what I'm saying about that game time. I've had a lot of game time in a lot of different games. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes, and if, if you've only had a very narrow life game, you know where you've just gone and done this job and come home and back to work and back to home, back to work, back to home for thirty years, and all of a sudden you find yourself you know, single at 50, mm -hmm. out of job, it is, my word, you're going to have to do a lot of networking then. Yes. That of all of the skills um, required for, you know, establishing a new business, um, networking is, for you anyway, networking has been the key? I think it's invaluable. Mm. You know, like I can go and get an accountant to do my accounting I can get a bookkeeper to do my book work. You know, I can get a writer to do my writing. Those people can't go and do all that networking, get all that other game planning stuff, you know, the innovation, the stimulation, the creativity. Yes. You know, you've got to get out and about and see that somewhere else and say, oh, my God, I wish I could do that. And then you go and do something and say, oh, yeah, it's getting like it. You know what yes. I mean? Yes, definitely, definitely. So it's, it's, to me, Barbara, I would say to anyone, if you want to start a business, it's not about money. It's about networking. 
To me, Barbara, I would say to anyone, if you want to start a business, it's not about money, it's about networking, you know, and I've had so much support from people, you know, that likes of John Ranico. John Ranico needs a gold medal. John, <laughs> it does. Like for two years, John allowed me to go into his factory, use all his gear, use his freezers, his power. He ended up giving me a set of keys, you know, because yes. I was ringing and saying, can you leave your place unlocked when you go home? I'll be there at up past five and I'll shut it up when I come or you have to come over and lock it up at 11 o'clock when I leave or whatever. Yes. And in then he just said, I'm out and he's a set of keys. You're here more than I am. <laughs> oh, that's great. And, 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 and John never, has never, ever charged me for one hour of my time in there. Wow. That, I mean, that's, yeah, it's, uh, it's they're not, yeah. obviously. You've, yeah. you've, they're, not, they're not around every corner. Malcolm, thank you so much for your time today. It's no been worries. really no. very interesting and uh, very best of luck with the business. Oh, no, I, I say to people, I don't need any luck. <laughs> I, need, I need to work hard. Thank you for your company today. And if you're looking to start a business yourself, please check out the resources that we have on our website at waronwestertalent.com.au. Thanks again. Bye.